Hi, and welcome to Being Lutheran, a podcast dedicated to proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ and the biblical theology expressed in the Lutheran Confessions. Today, Pastor Jason Goodham, Pastor Brett Bowen, and Pastor Adam Osier continue their discussion on the Augsburg Confession, looking at Article 24. Being Lutheran is sponsored by the Free Lutheran Bible College and Seminary, establishing students in the eternal and inerrant Word of God for a life of faith in Jesus Christ and a faithful service in His kingdom since 1964. To learn more or apply at flbc.edu. Welcome to the Being Lutheran Podcast. I am Pastor Brett Bowe, and I'm joined by... Pastor Jason Goodham and Pastor Adam Osier. All right, welcome back, guys. And no, welcome I, back I should to say, you. Welcome back to myself. Can I say that? Yeah. How was the Black Plague? Yeah, it, it was great. Well, <laughs> no, it was fine. I, it really wasn't that terrible. Uh, maybe just a couple of days of really feeling sick, but uh, thankful to be back from that. And then uh, we went um, on a vacation after that as well, and had Glad some great time. Glad it didn't time. overlap. Huh? Yeah, yeah. But it just worked out. It was it was kind of like having. Two weeks off in a row. It, that's kind of what it felt like. Of, so if you're a member of Brett's council, yeah. that was, <laughs> I did have two weeks uh, off in a row, but it was that whole time was it was systematically going through my family. So yeah. oh, I'm glad you got yuck. to enjoy vacation, Brett. Yeah. I really am. Yep. There's that's a, a little bit bitter. There's mm-hmm. a family in our homeschool association. They have multiple kids and they all got it in successive weeks. So like this was at the beginning of the pandemic and they were like quarantined for like six weeks. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. We could have had it. I mean, Jason and I have had it. You could have just come. We could have done it together. Yeah, I've had it twice, right. probably three times. So yeah. I'm, I might be invincible. He might be the carrier, actually. Yeah, like, I'm, could, I'm Typhoid Mary. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm Rona Goodham. Wuhan oh, Goodham. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. There we go. Way to get political <laughs> there. <laughs> well, is it really? I mean, that's yeah. where it started. But I mean, yeah. after all, you did call the president-elect of yes. the AFLC, compare him to both Kim Jong-un and uh, that the That was Pope. awesome. Yeah, yeah I, that was accidental. <laughs> it was <laughs> Really accidental. I've learned in the last several weeks that I just maybe shouldn't talk. Um, <laughs> no. On a podcast. And, and my wife is saying, last few weeks, like, how has it taken that long? Yeah. How well, could it have taken that long? Adam Osier is obliterating the notion that we do show prep for the big <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yes. That, that was fun to listen to that episode. Uh, I'm looking forward to part, part two that released actually a week from a week after a week after or a before, week ahead of this, yeah. yeah anyway uh, at the time of we're recording this i haven't heard part two but uh it was fun to listen to that and yeah these these interview episodes have been really great um with gretchen ronovic before that too and um whenever we've had uh guests like that i think it's been a good thing to mix into our our list of episodes always pulling the podcast up when we interview more famous and more important people than we are yeah yeah. yeah. Hey, listener, if you have any requests for uh, episodes that we could do, interview episodes, let us know. Um, and our email, probably, or you guys, you can reach us. There's a contact form on the website, beinglutheran.com. I can't remember off the top of my head what the email is, but you can go there and it will send it to us. Mm-hmm. Sweet. Well, today we're, we're jumping back into our normal routine of uh, walking through an article of the Augsburg Confession, and uh, we're on Article 24 today on the Mass. And so the next, uh, today, today's episode and the next three episodes will be uh, in the arc of discussing that. Uh, today's episode, next episode, uh, walking through the article, then a couple of Bible study episodes after that. Yeah, and this really firmly enters the territory of that's too Catholic with the language of the Mass, and, and maybe even before you go ahead and read the portion of the article that we're going to read, just explanation from from a Protestant 
perspective uh, with Reformation history in mind, all the Mass is referring to is a worship service with Holy Communion. That's what the Mass is. Mm-hmm. And now, Roman Catholics still refer to the Mass as the Mass. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, Lutherans have kind of adopted the language of divine service, yeah. and, uh, you know, Protestants in general will just refer to the worship service. But just so that we're on a common playing yeah. field, that's what we're looking at. Yep, sounds good. Yeah, I was just with some Catholic family members, and they were talking about going to Mass with their Monsignor and, and all that good stuff. With but, Monsignor, yeah, huh? Yep, yep. That's the title of their, the leader of their flock? Yep. Yep. So, yeah, anyway, uh, should we go ahead and read at this point? Yeah, go yeah, ahead. Okay. Uh, Brett's going to read the first paragraph or so of the article. Right. And and as always, you know, we we could just read the whole article, but that would take uh, probably the good chunk of our episode. But we always encourage you to read the whole rest of it on your own. Um, so Article 24 on the Mass, uh, here's the first paragraph. It says, We are unjustly accused of having abolished the Mass. Without boasting, it is manifest that the Mass is observed among us with greater devotion and more earnestness than among our opponents. All right. All right. So that's the the introductory paragraph on the Mass. And the the big objection, you can read the rest of it. It's a pretty lengthy article as far as Augsburg Confession articles are going, which is why we're not reading the entire thing. But the, the big accusation from the Roman Catholic Church is that they had accused the Lutherans of abolishing the Mass, and the Lutherans bounced back by saying, not only have we not abolished the Mass, but we observe it more dig- diligently and faithfully than the Roman Catholics do, which is always a good way to just clear the air, and, and you know, it was <laughs> we well it received. better than you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not only do we do it, but we're better than you at it. That's, that'd be a good tagline for the college, I think, you know. We teach the Bible but better. You yeah, know? that would fly. Yeah, I think yeah. that that would, you know... You know, all the other Christian ecumenical. colleges would be like, oh, thanks for identifying that. Thanks, yeah, we'll, we'll come yeah. to you now. Yeah, thanks yeah. a lot. Yeah. yeah. The so, Lutherans <laughs> had a way... To, how, do we, how do we get here? We're, uh, we're definitely out of practice. The yeah, Lutherans right. have a way uh, of... Uh, yeah, of kind of sticking it to the Catholics back then, but we're nice now, aren't we? Oh, we're totally nice and not uh, belligerent about things at all. Jason right? will not say Baptize anything. Baptize your babies. Jason will not say anything bad about Catholics today. So if you're That's a Catholic your job, Adam. <laughs> listening, I will probably offend at some point, but Jason will remain pure. Yes. Ready, go. All right, here we go. Uh, so where do we go from here, Brett? What yeah. do you want to talk about, point guard? Yeah, you know, I think of... Maybe let's try to understand a little bit of what the Catholics were trying to say, more specifically, in, in, in why would they say, you guys have abolished the Mass? What, what was going on there? Well, the, the first thing that, especially that Luther had become famous for, was putting the Word of God and the Christian faith into the German language. So, you know, not so much German in focus, but the language of the people. Everything done in the Roman Catholic Church up to that point had been in Latin. And if you didn't know Latin, which was probably, what, 98% of the population, unless you were clergy or royalty, you had no idea what was going on. And, 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 and in fact, the entire doctrine of ex opere operato, that these things that the church does, whether it's the sacraments or the service in general, are effective just because it does them apart from faith, it flows from the the service the mass the the word of god being inaccessible to the common man and the common woman i'm wondering was there ever a point in the history here where okay so if the big point is communion 
Was there ever a point where the Lutherans had given up on communion? What, what, do you know the answer to that question? I don't think so. I mean, you start with the fact that Luther was a Roman Catholic priest and monk right. into the Reformation. I mean, the, the, the big aggravating thing for me is that the Reformation starts uh, in history on October 31st, 1517, and, and Luther's Roman Catholic by practice for at least another two years after that. And Luther, this is also a really good time for us to explain that Luther never saw what he was doing as a split from the historic church. He always saw him himself and the Lutheran movement, which he wouldn't have called it that, as a reforming movement of the historic church. And when the split occurred, whether you want to take that to the burning of the bull or the Diet of Worms or really the Augsburg Confession and the presentation of the Augsburg Confession, whatever you date the actual split to, Luther would accuse the Roman Catholics of being the schismatics, of, of being the ones who split from the historic church because of all of the doctrines doctrines and all of the the word of God that had been corrupted. You know, we've fallen so far away from the gospel, from the purpose of the law, and from what the the word of God is prescribing for the people of God. Now, I, I know that part of this, as you read um, this article, you hear about, <clears throat> excuse me, you, you read about the concerns that the Lutherans had with the Catholics about how they were doing and practicing the communion mass, right? Uh, and a couple of those things are, and we'll get into them later, about the, about the sacrifice. One was, you know, that they feel it was a sacrifice of Christ, that Christ's initial sacrifice was for, you know, sins. And then the continuation of that was happening every, you know, in a bloodless way moving forward. But do you think that the, the Catholics took offense to the Lutheran practice where they weren't believing those things because they were certainly practicing communion. Was it that they weren't observing those uh, couple of, um, for instance, that it was bought and sold is kind of one of the arguments that is made in this article is that, you know, there's private mass and there's those things and they're not doing that. So that's a problem or, you know, they're not seeing it as a sacrifice again. So is that the problem? I think... The, the biggest problem is that the church had grown comfortable with being the central authority of the Christian faith. And, and one, of, one of the ways I've taught this in the past is you take the four major movements of Christianity. And again, uh, apologies to those who are of the Greek Orthodox tradition. Uh, I, I don't know enough about Greek Orthodoxy to declare where they are in this. And so I usually lump them in with Roman Catholics, not because of confession, but because of the foundational truths of the four major strains of Christianity. So you look at the Roman Catholic faith and by proxy the Greek Orthodox faith, and the primary thing we know about God and we build our theology from is the existence of the church. Mm-hmm. And so you know, the Roman Catholics build the existence of the church on the office of the keys given to St. Peter, the first pope, and it goes that the Roman, uh, the, the pope is the controller of the gospel. Sure. And that, so that, that's what it amounts to, uh, in the same way the Greek Orthodox build their tradition on the, the fathers. So in a sense, it's maybe a changing of the mass, as we'll see. Yeah. You know, we'll talk about some of the changes I know um, moving forward. But it's interesting to me, as you look at this argument. It's not, you know, it's, it's really a control thing. It seems like to me, uh, like you mentioned before, and, and I, I know we're not this is kind of a side note here, but the, the, you mentioned the Latin mass, right? The Latin service that was done and, and it was in Latin. 
is, do you see in that an element of control, even in that? Hmm. Yes, but maybe not intentional. Uh, I, I think what I see more in that, and again, I'm not a church historian, so yeah. we, we got to get an actual church historian here to tell us where we're off base with all of this, and we've got some plans for that. But the, I, I think this is more of a self-perpetuating, we've always done it this way. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, and so the we've always done it this way yeah. ends up becoming when Latin dies as an active language, it becomes this kind of superstitious, more holy thing. You know, when, when the church starts, Latin and Greek are the language of the masses. That's mm-hmm. f- the first century AD. And then <clears throat> Latin builds forward from there as the ecclesiastical language, because due to historical circumstances, the, the bishop in Rome becomes the head of the Western church. And so Latin goes from being a language of the people to the ecclesiastical language. And then you have this tendency that all humans have, and it happens in the church today, of, of making a church hierarchy where some things and some practices and yeah. some people are more holy than others. Yep. And it, it would be my assessment as a um, church historian layperson, <laughs> you know, an uneducated observer, that that's probably what it has more to do than with control. Now, the Roman Catholic response to the Lutherans is absolutely about control, 100%. They don't want the, the, langu- you know, the, the worship service in the scriptures put in the language of the people uh, because then they can't hoard power. You know, Wycliffe, John Wycliffe was martyred mm-hmm. for putting scripture into the English language, you know. Yeah, and I would make the argument, and I think you guys would too, uh, looking back at the history biblically of how that worked out, right? Uh, how Paul used the Septuagint, which was a translation. It wasn't the original Hebrew, but he in places uses the Septuagint, the the Greek translation of the Old Testament Hebrew uh, of that day. He uses he uses translations. We look at scripture and in that era, we see no prescription in scripture for what the mass should look like. We see elements of, of that in scripture, but we don't see any how that's laid out. And I would make the argument like that's a silly argument. But then again, we remember as I understand it, and this is still true to some degree today, as I, I my friend who is a Catholic priest uh, and I have, have discussed before, the scriptures aren't the only thing they look back to. Uh, the, the tradition of the church and the traditions that have been passed down are also what they look to. And I think that's maybe where I'm getting hung up there is that yeah. that that is why they, they held to that and why this maybe was so offensive. Yeah. Yeah. And this might be the, the article of we've always done it that way. I, I really love that you brought up that expression, uh, Jason, in what you were saying. And, you know, I think that that's a good connecting point to what's going on in, in today's world. And, you know, maybe we should talk a little bit uh, about the names we call what we do on Sunday in connection with this, you know, worship service, divine service, and maybe what some of those mean too. But uh, I'm just wondering what you guys think about uh, how they they responded. Yes, they were kind of harsh at the beginning of, you know, we do it better. But, you know, they're responding in principle, uh, looking at the scriptural basis of what they were doing um, in what they were doing. Yeah, I think uh, probably what would be most revolutionary for the church of today is that there's this idea of a designed purpose that the worship service or the divine service accomplishes in uh, in the generic. Well, even those in those two two terms you yeah. use. Yeah, maybe just flesh I'm getting that there. Out. Yeah, okay, I'm, yeah, I'm getting sorry. there. No, no, no. In 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 generic American Christianity, you you have first the language of the worship service. 
but you have this idea that worship is something we do because one, worship is equated with praise to the point that it's a genre of music, praise and worship music. Although worship and praise are not identical concepts in scripture. And so the worship service is something we do and the worship service is geared towards people spontaneously expressing the movements of the spirit, you know, and I mean, in maybe an uncharitable uh, assessment from someone on the outside looking in, in that environment is that we want this undirected movement of the spirit. And so we try to work ourselves up into this spiritual frenzy of pure uh, heartfelt praise mm-hmm. for God, for what he's done. But in, in that, what has happened is that the focus is on the praise and not what on the what God has done. So that's the worship service. The Lutherans have that terminology, but we call it the divine service because we want to be clear that uh, in the divine service, it's God serving us. Mm-hmm. And, and so the, the big distinction in Lutheran theology is that the, God serves us by delivering to us his gifts in the service, and then we respond with praise. And so somewhere, I can't remember if it's in the large catechism or in the small called articles, but I'm pretty sure it's Luther who writes, true worship of God is to receive God's gifts in the way God intends them to be received. And that's a paraphrase of what he says. But the worship then is God wants us to have faith in his promises. So actual worship is us responding in faith to the word of God and to the gospel proclaimed and applied in the sacraments. Mm-hmm. And ostensibly, interestingly enough, we, in, in what the Catholics would have said at that time, they would see the same thing, that, that it's the divine mass, uh, that the gifts of communion are given to the people. And so that whole idea of God serving us, I think, was ostensibly there. But then you see in, in some of the practice, some of the control we've talked about, maybe it's a little bit different. Well, in, in a charitable construction on what the Roman Catholics are doing, in, like you said, at the beginning, they're trying to pr- protect the holy and the sacred, right? That, that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to ha- not have things be profaned. And especially when you consider uh, the presence of the Lord's Supper of Holy Communion involved in the order of service, when your theology, which Roman Catholic theology does that, is a theology of transubstantiation where the elements of communion literally and physically become the body and blood of Christ— that's a holy and sacred thing with which to protect. Uh, the, the error comes in in the Roman Catholic notion that the things that we do make us holy or unholy instead of our faith or our unbelief. You know, so you, you, you have the statement in um, Hebrews or Corinthians that everything done apart from faith is sin. Mm-hmm. And, and this idea is that now... Uh, because I'm a priest, because I'm a monk, or or whatever the case, I'm already holy, and I'm representing God to these uncommon or these these common unholy peasants. That now you're protecting the things of God from the savages, sure. kind of a thing, and and so that's where it starts. When you start to go off base in that direction, what you end up with is a fast track to superstition. And and we touched on this a few episodes ago where we said that formalism without scripture is superstition. Mm -hmm. That's when I 
I think when I, I dropped the word talisman yep. in relationship to the elements of bread and wine, and you were about ready to blow a gasket on me because I was <laughs> you thought I was ar- arguing that that's what it was, but it's exact opposite, yep. right? It's not a talisman. It's not some superstitious gift of, Rabbit's oh, I'm going to... And, yeah. and they used to do that, right? Mm-hmm. In the Mass, is, is the, the history of the church would go that people... that We talked about this back in the, um, you know, when the people would only get... The bread, yeah, right, in oh, one yeah. kind, one kind, yep. uh, where they would hide, you know, that they would keep it in, like, and so that became the tradition of the bread going directly into the mouth that the priest would put it or the pastor would put it directly into the mouth of the recipient because he didn't want him to carry it away and be a talisman. And I think we're seeing the same thing here to some degree, and and that's where all of this devolves into the Roman Catholic Church of Luther's day, and in in some cases the Roman Catholic Church of today has admitted that they were wrong, is that the control over the forgiveness of sins becomes the exploitation of the forgiveness of sins. And that's what leads us to the start of the whole Reformation, mm-hmm. is the sale of indulgences, which are the, the, you know, the written out forgiveness of the temporal consequences of sin is essentially what it is. The sale of indulgences was funding the extravagance of the Roman Catholic Church of Luther's day. And and Luther's whole thing with the Pope is like, if you literally can forgive the sins of anyone because of who you are, why aren't you forgiving sins? Yeah. I'd why be doing it holding... freely all day yeah, long. Right. Yep, exactly. Yeah. And and all of that is behind yeah. the curtain of what's going on in the Mass. Right. And now there's some very specific objections that we can touch on again next episode, but that historical context of what the Reformation is about kind of builds us into how did we get here? Where, where did that snowball start yep. and how did it become this avalanche that just kind of, you know conquered everything in the church and and Luther and others had to say, no, we got to stop it. Mm -hmm. I want to, and can I say something? I think we have a couple minutes just, just briefly. Brett, you stopped reading partway through the first and and you said you can read the rest, which is good. But I think this ties in the next kind of sentences. The reason that they say we do it better, right? The Lutherans do it better than the Catholics, they say, is because the people are instructed in what the purpose of this was. It's not a talisman. It's not some, it's not some uh, ex opere operato by the, you know, from the working of the work, right? Just going through that, the, the motions and the process, but the whole purpose of God's gifts to us in this particular gift of the sacrament is for, it says right here, how it's to be used, namely as a comfort to terrified consciences. Yeah, amen. Well, you amen. know, and, and if I'm going there and I, I take this and I just do it because the priest tells me to, that's one thing. But when I take that and I realize in, in receiving the bread and the wine, Christ is in with and under there, forgiving my sins, you know, cleansing me from unrighteousness, assuring me that he's never going to leave me. My my conscience in, in being able to understand and not just go through the motions absolutely uh, is the heart of this. And I think that that was the heart of the Lutheran position back at the Reformation, and I pray still continues today. Absolutely. And, and that phrase, comfort for consciences, yeah. is like the theme phrase of the entire Augsburg right. Confession right. and Apology. Yep. 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 Amen. Well, maybe that's a good place to wrap up uh, for this episode. Thank you, guys. And uh, we'll catch you next week. Thank you for joining us. Please look us up on the web at beinglutheran.com. Also, invite a friend to check us out on Spotify and iTunes. 
Please join us next week as Pastor Jason, Pastor Brett, and Pastor Adam continue their discussion on Article 24 of the Augsburg Confession. For the latest from the Free Lutheran Bible College and Seminary in Plymouth, Minnesota, visit flbc.edu. God bless you and have a great week.